Blah, 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 verbiage, 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 yada, yada, yada. There, we're done with the usual entry. Welcome to QuackCast 39, the measles update. This is going to be probably what you're going to get from now on, a rehash of my SBM, maybe just my BM blog entries. I find that I cannot write an entry and write a podcast and so the two are going to seamlessly merge into this wonderful multimedia extravaganza. Or it's going to be more like the two-headed monster. So this is QuackCast39, a update, or even an update, on measles. It looks like the H1N1 pandemic is fading fast. And I'm amazed at how lucky we were, at least at the hospitals where I work. A month ago, all the ICU beds were full. Most of the ventilators were in use. And we were wondering how we are going to triage the next batch of patients who needed advanced life support, and we had none to offer. Then, right as we reached capacity and had no more wiggle room, we do have a room in the hospital where we wiggle, the rates of influenza plummeted. We skated right up to the edge of the precipice, just like Charlie Chaplin, looked down and did not have to jump. The pandemic of H1N1 has not been as bad as expected, but it has still been no walk in the park. Nationwide, as of the end of December 2009, H1N1 killed maybe 10,000 people, with 1,100 children and 7,500 young adults, according to the CDC. In Oregon, we had 1,200 hospitalizations and 68 deaths. In my hospitals, we had about 8 deaths from H1N1, and we would have had twice that number but our hospital has a trauma center and offers ECMO, extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. And we managed to save a number of people who would have died if they'd been in a lesser hospital. So the national statistics mirror our experience. None of the deaths were in the elderly. Tis a pity that the vaccine was slow to be produced, as we probably could have prevented the majority of those deaths. Are we done with H1N1? Will it become part of seasonal flu? Will we have a third comeback fueled by holiday travel? Will it mutate and increase in virulence? Will it recombine with avian flu to generate a new strain? Is this the pandemic that comes along every 30 years or so, and we will not see another till after I am long dead? How the hell am I supposed to know? I can't see the future. Or can I? Mr. Randy, Mr. Grothy, listen up. I'm thinking here that I am eligible for the million-dollar prize. I am receiving future information from the Large Hadron Collider, curiously delivered inside a baguette. And I think I can predict the next infection to sweep the United States. Measles. You could say I'm making a rash prediction. <laughs> God, I'm funny. I sure know why you listen to this podcast. So that's the topic of this podcast is measles. Because there have been two studies of interest published in the last month in reference to measles vaccination that you should know about. Now, you may be saying to yourself, how did I get here? And you may be saying to yourself, measles, epidemic, piece of cake. That's an easy call. Well, is it? 
Christine, I have seen a grand total of one case of measles in my 25-year career. Now, I am not a pediatric infectious disease doc, although I do act like a child. The case I saw was an unimmunized young male who picked up measles traveling in Africa. And I had not expected to see another case thanks to immunization. I am no longer certain that will be the case. Measles is due to the rubiola virus, which is a typical virus. It causes fever and cough and runny nose and red eyes and a characteristic maculopapular erythematous rash. It is one of many childhood infections that have plagued mankind. Measles is very infectious, with 90% of household contacts who are exposed to measles developing the disease. It is one of those infections that would be very easy to acquire in, say, the waiting area of a doctor's office. Now, case fatality rates in the West are low, at best 0.3%, while in the third world it kills up to a third of infected children. And in the West, about one in a thousand get encephalitis, brain rot. In the old days, everybody developed measles with about three million cases a year, with relatively little but devastating morbidity and mortality. Quote, before measles vaccine, nearly all children got measles by the time they were 15 years of age. Each year in the United States, about 450 people died because of measles, 48,000 were hospitalized, 7,000 had seizures, and about 1,000 suffered permanent brain damage, deafness, or became addicted to Oprah Winfrey, end quote. I should say, parenthetically, I'm rereading a book I read 28, 30 years ago in high school, The Earth Abides, a story about the world where virtually the entire human population is killed off by a super measles. I'm listening to it on Audible. I don't get paid by Audible, but get the Audible version and listen to it. You can get a free Audible book if you go to like Twit or one of Leo Laporte's podcasts and listen to the Audible version of The Earth Abides. It is really creepy, especially as an infectious disease doctor where I keep waiting for some massive pandemic to kill huge numbers of people. Anyway, much of measles is preventable by the vaccine. No vaccine is perfect, and the measles vaccine is no different. Measles vaccine is 90 to 97% effective in preventing infection depending on the population studied. But another way to think about it is 3 to 10% of the population would remain susceptible to disease even if we had 100% of the population vaccinated. Now, thanks to Dr. Andrew Wakefield, fear of the MMR as a cause of autism is highest in Great Britain. And as a result, measles vaccination have plummeted. I think now it should be referred to as mediocre Britain, at least where the vaccine is concerned. I hear where Disney is planning on buying the United Kingdom and making it the United Magic Kingdom, but that may not be true. Vaccination rates have fallen in England, and at the one point, 20% of children were susceptible to measles, mumps, and rubella. Since the English refer to the vaccination as the jab, I am surprised that anyone takes the vaccine. It's kind of like referring to colonoscopy as writing the python. Who would want that? Of course, we refer to the vaccine as a shot. So what's worse, a shot or a jab? I take a shot over a jab, but then I'm an American. 
Quote, a particularly significant decline was observed between 2000 and 2004, which can arguably be attributed to the deterioration in public confidence about the safety of the MMR, end quote. They say arguably probably because in England, if you say the wrong thing, you can get your ass sued from here to Ireland for libel. But as a result of this, measles boomed. And this is all due to Dr. Wakefield's report in The Lancet, which, as you know from other sources, was all made up. It evidently should have been published as a work of dark humor in punch rather than as a serious medical article in The Lancet. Quote, More importantly, the controversy appeared to affect parental decision-making. Uptake rates for MMR in England fell from 87% in 2000 to 79% in 2003 the lowest figure at any time since the widespread introduction of the triple vaccine in 1990. The decrease was especially significant given that the single vaccine's alternative was only available from private medical clinics at a cost around $200. The Wakefield study has been widely discredited and MMR uptake has recovered to an extent. In the 2007, vaccination rate stood at 85%. Meanwhile, measles notifications in 2006 and 2007 were the highest for almost a decade. End quote. It's a nice experiment in cause and effect. The vaccine rates decline. The disease rates goes up. And you know what's interesting is people do not believe in that particular cause and effect. I wonder, as an aside about responsibility... One of the refrains of the anti-vax wackaloon crowd is that Big Pharma is protected from any liability from vaccine injury. Big Pharma, they say, cannot be held responsible. I wonder when the causes of autism are finally elucidated and the vaccines are definitively exonerated as we have answers as to the true etiology of autism, if Dr. Wakefield and AOA and Ms. McCarthy will assume the responsibility and liability for all the morbidity and mortality their actions caused, I am sure they will be happy to step up to the plate and offer restitution to the affected families. Now, while the Brits were freaking out about the MMR, in Poland, the vaccine continued apace and resulted in a paper. This paper out of Poland is entitled Lack of Association Between Measles, Mumps, Rubella Vaccination and autism in children. And this exonerated the MMR as a cause of autism. Yet another scientific study to show no association between the MMR and autism. Now, Poland has an interesting history with regards to the measles vaccine. Quote, The MMR vaccine was introduced in Poland later than in most other European countries. For the past 10 years, the MMR vaccine has been gradually replaced by the single antigen measles variety. When it was first introduced, MMR was not covered by the National Health Service of Poland. Parents who wished to vaccinate their children with the MMR, as opposed to the single mandatory measles vaccine, had to pay extra. For this reason, few children were immunized with MMR. The Polish mandatory vaccination schedule did not include MMR for all children until 2004, end quote. And this resulted in 
three populations. They had an unvaccinated population, a measles vaccine-only population, and an MMR population. And they could then compare all three populations looking for rates of autism. As a result, to quote the article, quote, Poland's heterogeneous population, i.e. vaccinated with MMR, vaccinated against measles only, non-vaccinated, serves as a unique sample group for studying the debated association of these vaccines with autism in children, end quote. So they compared the three groups, and they found no association between MMR and autism. None. In fact, they found, quote, a lower risk for developing autism for children vaccinated against measles, with the lowest risk being found for children vaccinated with MMR, unquote. Now, I know the anti-vaccine wackaloons like to say, too many, too soon. But in this case, the more vaccines you got, the less chance you had of developing autism. Now, this finding is dismissed by the authors as perhaps, quote, the decreased risk of autism among vaccinated children may be due to some other confounding factors in their health status. For example, healthcare workers or parents may have noticed signs of developmental delay or disease before actual autism diagnosis and for this reason have avoided the vaccination, unquote. Others in the blogosphere, such as ORAC, have also thought the finding was a fluke. Part of the argument against the MMR being protective is that having one child in the family with autism would make it unlikely for other children in the family to get the vaccine out of fear of the vaccine causing autism when in fact it was probably due to inherited causes. The lack of vaccination is actually a marker for families with other predispositions for developing autism. I am not so sure that is true. As the authors report, quote, This serves as evidence that, despite extensive media coverage of the debated association between MMR and autism, public acceptance of this vaccine remains very high. The situation in Poland is different to that of many European countries, where MMR vaccinations by age 2 fell more than 10% and were followed by measles outbreaks. In this time, Poland's already high rate of measles immunization even slightly increased. End quote. It would seem that the Poles were immune to the anti-MMR hysteria, although I cannot say with certainty. So if so, then the finding of the protective effect of vaccination given the study population, may be valid, because it appears that there was not the decrease in vaccination that you'd expect if there was widespread fear. Me? I think everything is due to an infectious disease. Infections are the one true cause of all disease. While this may be the first study to demonstrate the protective effect of the MMR, Remember that measles, mumps, and rubella are neurotropic viruses, with encephalitis and seizures a known complication of measles. There has been a long suspicion of viral infections altering the brain to unmask schizophrenia, and there is an association between abortivirus and OCD, obsessive-compulsive disease. East is an annoying literature with the Borna virus because the authors always have to sneak in some born-again type of pun. And I hate puns. Could a subtle neurologic infection exacerbate a predilection towards autism that would be protected by the vaccine? 
I do not think it is out of the question, but then that is my personal delusion. But it's not out of the question that a vaccine that prevents a neurotropic infection could in turn decrease the rates of autism. How about the United States? Since I live and work in the United States, there's somewhat of an America-centric take to this podcast. Well, vaccination rates have fallen in some segments of the U.S. as well. In the U.S., low vaccination rates are found primarily in the children of the well-to-do and are often clustered in alternative schools. There are literally dozens of schools in California with vaccination rates under 80%, with some schools having vaccination rates as high as a whopping 5%. Well, fine, you may say to yourself, they can get the measles and other vaccine-preventable diseases. At least it will stay in those enclaves of unvaccinated children. My kids are vaccinated and are in schools where vaccination rates are high. My kids are relatively safe. I would have thought the same thing. Herd immunity and models that try and predict what levels of immunity are needed to protect a population are based on the assumption that unimmunized people are randomly distributed in the population, not clustered in alternative schools. In the Journal of Infectious Diseases this month is a description of a measles outbreak in Canada where clusters of unvaccinated populations helped to perpetuate a measles outbreak even though the overall community vaccination rates were high. This article was entitled, Long-Lasting Measles Outbreak Affecting Several Unrelated Networks of Unvaccinated Persons. Quote, Despite a population immunity level estimated at 95%, an outbreak of measles responsible for 94 cases occurred in Quebec, Canada. Unlike previous outbreaks in which most unvaccinated children belong to a single community, this outbreak had cases coming from several unrelated networks of unvaccinated persons dispersed in the population. No epidemiologic link was found for about one-third of the laboratory-confirmed cases. This outbreak demonstrated that minimal changes in the level of aggregation of unvaccinated individuals can lead to sustained transmission in highly vaccinated populations, end quote. And the measles virus that they isolated was genotyped, and almost all the isolates were identical, demonstrating how infectious measles can be with what was presumptively minimal contact. So what happened is that these enclaves of unvaccinated children served as mini epidemics that were a source for measles in the wider community. As the discussion said, quote, an important assumption of mathematical models predicting elimination, however, is the random distribution of susceptible persons in the population. In reality, unvaccinated individuals are not distributed at random. Religious groups opposed to vaccination are often tightly knit communities. Our outbreak involved two unrelated alternative schools attended by children whose parents were resistant to vaccination on philosophical ground, demonstrated that these persons also aggregate. A spontaneous interruption of this outbreak, despite the current level of aggregation in unvaccinated children, suggests that endemicity was not likely to be reestablished in this population. The continued propagation throughout many generations of cases, however, 
raised the possibility that a minimal change in an overall vaccination coverage in the population or the level of aggregation of unvaccinated individuals can lead to sustained but protracted transmission despite immunity level of 95%, end quote. In other words, if you're going to drive past a Waldorf school, take in a deep breath. Unless you think this outbreak epidemiology is limited to measles, the U.S. Northeast experienced a similar outbreak with mumps, where clusters of unvaccinated populations helped magnify the spread of disease. A child with mumps came to the United States from, hey, I'll be damned, England. Huh. Well, thank you again, Dr. Wakefield, where, thanks to the low uptake of MMR, the second M standing for mumps, there is an ongoing mumps epidemic as well as measles. So this index case went to a religious camp and gave it to other campers who in turn went to other collections of unvaccinated people and so started an epidemic. This happens when you have collections of unvaccinated people. It appears that collections of unvaccinated people can serve to magnify the ability of diseases to spread in the community. Those unvaccinated children in the alternative schools may be unable to keep their infections to their cells. So what's my million-dollar prediction? Mr. Randy, Mr. Grothy, measles will be imported into the United States, probably from a student, probably from mediocre Britain. That student will visit an alternative school and start an epidemic in the school. Measles will be spread from school to school and then into the community and will be difficult to control. I predict it will occur in 2012. Why? Well, the Mayans, along with the other indigenous peoples of North and South America, were killed by the millions from vaccine-preventable illnesses like measles, pertussis, mumps, and smallpox. The real reason the Mayan calendar ends in 2012 is that the end of the world will be due to the revenge return of vaccine-preventable diseases. So how am I going to spend my million dollars when the world is gone? That's it. The last QuackCast of 2009. I wish you all a generic, non-denominational seasonal greeting. Don't forget to go into iTunes and write me a fabulous review. I'd say glowing, but somebody's already written a glowing review. But as always, my ravenous ego needs feeding. Feed me. And if you listen to the other podcasts, you know the usual end, blah, 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 yada, 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 so on and so on. I'm tired of the intro and outros, so I'm going to stop here and talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye.